Chapter 15 of The Great Diamond Syndicate This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Great Diamond Syndicate by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 15 A Desperate Game. A sinister smile flashed over the white face of the man at the desk. There are many methods of executing the orders of the Great Diamond Syndicate, he said, and there are forms of death calculated to break the most obstinate will. Besides, the safety of your beloved chick ought to count for something with you. The detective strained at his bonds and ground his teeth in impotent rage. I'd like to have half an hour with you with bare knuckles, he said, as the man at the desk gazed upon him in triumph. I think I could teach you a few points in humanity. Let me tell you now that the American head of the Great Diamond Syndicate is not equal to his job. In short, is a very cheap fool. I am not a passionate person, said the other. Proceed. If you were fit for the position, continued Nick, you would never have permitted me to regain consciousness. We are looking to you for help in securing your diamonds, was the cool reply. Then, having made this mistake, you should never have confided the secrets of your syndicate to me. We decided to bring you down a peg or two before your death, to show you how little you were really capable of when pitted against men of ability and courage. To humiliate me, in fact? To punish you. What do you suppose I'll do to your syndicate when I get out of here? asked Nick. You'll never get out, was the reply. You are as good as dead now. Nick smiled and turned his face to the wall. He was listening intently for some indication of the presence of his assistants. He had no idea how they would get to him, but he was satisfied that get to him they would. Presently there came a ring at the door. Nick knew by the sound that he was on the second floor of the house. He had little doubt that he was still in the house occupied wholly, or in part, by the African fortune-teller. He was now convinced that the woman was a confederate of the diamond thieves. Nick listened with his heart beating wildly as he heard the front door open. He was naturally anxious about the safety of his assistants and Joseph. He had not the least doubt that the thieves had actually planned a robbery at his house. As fate would have it, there was no one in the house save Joseph, if Chick and Patsy had obeyed his telephone call. The thieves might really secure his diamonds, but that was not the chief cause of his anxiety. There will be a long score to settle when I get out of this, he thought. Presently the man arose from the desk and approached the door leading into the hall. There were now loud voices out there, and Nick was listening with all his senses alert. The man opened the door a trifle. What is coming off out there? he demanded in French. This fool servant won't let me into the house, came a voice which sounded remarkably like that of the alleged reporter, who had guided Nick to the place. It was like the young fellow's voice, and yet it was not. There was a note in it which Nick recognized. He was satisfied that it was Chick playing a desperate game. What is the matter, Maurice? asked the man, standing in the doorway. He doesn't make correct replies, was the answer. I do, too. He's a fool. Bring him up here and keep a strong hold on him, commanded the chief of the diamond thieves. I'll go up there all right, was the reply, but if he touches me, I'll knock his head off. 
I ought to know all about this den, if I have fuddled my head a bit with drink, and I have been with you longer than he has. Nick saw the chief step back to his desk and grasp a revolver. This is a counterfeit, he said, looking toward Nick with a smile. It is probably one of your men trying to break into the game. We'll let him up and see what he looks like. Then we'll settle him for good. As the chief stepped back to the door, Nick gave a sharp call of warning, which he knew that Chick would understand. The chief turned angrily in his direction for just an instant. In that instant there was a quick, heavy blow below, and a fall. Then a cool breath of air from the street swept through the hall and up the stairs to the room where Nick lay. The chief of the diamond thieves turned back into the room. There was a look of brutal rage on his face. "'You were right,' he said. "'I presume too much on the competence of our guards. You know too much to be allowed to leave this place alive.' As he leveled his revolver at the helpless detective, there came a rush on the outer staircase, and he paused, as if uncertain whether it would not be better to turn his weapon on the intruders. At that critical moment there came a sharp call for help, seemingly from the rear room, and he bounded in that direction. "'Help! I am being strangled!' The voice appeared to be that of a woman. The would-be murderer, when he reached the room whence the cry had seemed to proceed, found it entirely unoccupied. With a muttered oath, he sprang back to the helpless detective on the couch, and again lifted his weapon. He was too late to accomplish the murder of his prisoner. Chick, disguised as a young man who had played the part of the reporter, swept into the room and struck down the revolver. The bullet buried itself in the carpet. Behind Chick came Patsy and Danny, Nick's chauffeur, who had entered the lower hall when Chick had opened the door after putting the guard out with a blow. The would-be murderer disappeared in the rear room before Chick could lay hands on him and closed the door in the faces of his pursuers. They had the barrier open in a trice, but the chief of the diamond thieves had disappeared. An open door showing a private staircase leading to the basement revealed the manner of his flight. While the other two hastened down the staircase in hot pursuit, Chick turned back to his chief. "'Rather close call that,' he said. "'It is a wonder the fellow did not shoot before we could get into the room.' His attention was attracted elsewhere, said Nick, with a smile as Chick released him from his bonds. I don't understand, said the assistant. I surely thought it was all off with you. What happened? There was a call for help from the back room, said Nick, with a grin. I see, said Chick, some of your ventriloquism. Well, it saved your life, all right. What next? In a few words he informed Chick of the situation. I must get home at once, he said. Just then, Patsy and Danny made their appearance. It's no use, Patsy said. The house is empty. I can't understand how they got away so handily. Then the game is about played out so far as this place is concerned, said Nick, and we may as well take our departure for the present. He made a quick inspection of the two desks, gathered the few papers they held into a package, and turned to the door. "'Call the police,' he said to Chick, "'and leave them in charge of the building. "'We may have further use for some of the traps here. "'Wait, here is a phone.' "'He called his private number and waited impatiently. "'At length the voice of Joseph came over the wire. "'Have you had visitors tonight?' asked Nick. 
"'We certainly have,' came the reply, with a tinge of triumph in the tones. "'Did they get into the house?' asked Nick anxiously. "'No, sir,' was the reply. "'I made short work of the thieves. "'One was wounded and taken to the hospital, and the others escaped.' "'After some further conversation, Nick hung up the receiver. "'This has been a bad night for the great diamond syndicate,' he said. "'This is a new one on me,' said Chick. And in a few words, Nick explained the interview with the chief of the syndicate. "'Do you think he was telling the truth?' asked the assistant. "'He was certainly correct about the attempt to rob my house,' replied Nick. "'But it does not seem possible that such a syndicate, as he told of, could exist in this age of the world.' "'There are strange things connected with criminal life,' said the detective. "'I can see how such an organization as he described,' could be made to pay large dividends, and there is no knowing what thieves will do. London is headquarters for all manner of strange syndicates. Nothing is impossible over there. It sounds like romance, said Chip. Anyway, continued Dick, we can soon learn the truth or falsity of the fellow's statements. He will give himself away before long, for he is vain and proud of his skill in criminal work. Just imagine his telling me all about his syndicate. He only wanted to show you what could be done in spite of the officers of the law, said Chip. Besides, he sought to make you look like thirty cents, as the boys on the Bowery say. They are a bold lot, said Nick. Think of their sending that young man to the hotel to bring me here. However, their scheme worked to our advantage rather than to their own. By the way, where did you get that make-up? I watched the fellow at the Wisconsin, and saw you go off with him, was the reply. I saw what you were working, and followed on as you directed. When you came in here, I ducked away and got this suit. Pretty near correct, eh? It is about the thing, replied Nick. Listen! There was an alarm of fire in the street, and then fire apparatus stopped in front of the building. Chick opened the door to the hall and looked out. The whole place was in flames. The detectives darted toward the private staircase, seeking escape by way of the basement, but were there met by a column of flame. Nick threw open the windows, and fire ladders soon made their appearance. It was clear that the lower part of the structure was little better than a furnace. "'They hardly succeeded in burning us alive,' said Chick, as the foreman stood on the pavement below. "'That was a fool trick, it seems to me.' "'The idea,' said Nick, was undoubtedly to destroy the papers and identifying records of the great diamond syndicate. In this they only partially succeeded, for I have quite a mess of documents in my pocket. The house, however, seems to be doomed to destruction. This was indeed the fact, for the building burned to the ground. It was afterward discovered that the basement had been filled with combustible material for use in just such an emergency. It was clear to the detectives that the great diamond syndicate took due care of its secrets. It is true that the chief, believing Nick Carter to be as good as dead, had talked of the syndicate to him, but he had done this principally through vanity, and with the purpose of showing how the keenest detectives of the day had been outwitted by the superior wisdom and courage of the mighty syndicate. End of chapter 15 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona